Hi, and welcome back to SEPA Stories. All right, so I do apologize for not getting a couple of posts up a little bit sooner. I um, actually, I, I do have a full-time job, and so sometimes when it's a heavy week, I'm not always able to post as, as frequently as I would like. So um, with that, you know, I, I seeking your forgiveness on that and let's go forward and let me tell you about a wonderful story that I have had that I've been very much looking forward to reading for you. So this story is titled A Snake in the Grass and this was written by Ashen Moon 42 and as my other selections have been located uh, this story was also read on fanfiction.net. This is a story that was published on on or around May 18th so this has um, been out a little bit and it looks like it was already getting some nice reviews. So the summary as written by Ashen Moon 42 for A Snake in a Grass is as follows. Tom Riddle wrecks havoc when the children from Will, I'm sorry, from Wool's orphanage share a picnic with some privileged school children. Okay, so just, you know, um, reader's note, I love the Voldemort character. I think he's a lot of fun. He's as bad, as bad as you can get. And when I read the story, parts of it had me personally laughing. So I, I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Okay, so some stats before we dive into the story. This is a rated T um, selection. It is written in English. Our main character is Tom Riddle, a junior, and as I mentioned before, it was published on May the 18th, and it is a complete story, so I really hope you love this as much as I did, and with that, let's look at A Snake in a Grass, written by Ashen Moon. 42. And as a preface, of course, none of the characters or constructs of the Wizarding World are owned or being plagiarized in any way by the writer or me, the reader. So with that, let's go ahead and dive into the story. A Snake in the Grass by Ashen Moon 42. It wasn't often the children from Wool's Orphanage went on trip days. It was late April, and London was at its finest the gentle midday sun and soft breeze giving the day a friendly atmosphere. The children, led by a smiling Mrs. Cole, marched in pairs towards the garden at the end of the street. When they were almost there, standing just outside the open gates, Mrs. Cole stopped. All right, children, she said. We are to be taking our lunch with the children from St. Winifred's today. I've been assured that they are pleasant and mild-mannered, so I urge you to be the same. Let's be on our best behavior, shall we? Perhaps you can make some friends. Tom, standing with Eric Wally, third from the back of the line, raised a cold eyebrow. Last year, when they'd breakfasted with some boys from St. Aidan's, Mrs. Cole had said the same thing, and the result had been a tussle after Billy Stubbs had stolen a toy. Needless to say, St. Aidan's hadn't invited them back. Mrs. Cole started leading them into the gardens, still smiling genially. The younger boys pushed to the front, excited by the prospect of a picnic on such a beautiful day. None of them found it difficult to make friends. 
The path had a small margin of uncut grass around it, and Tom gave it a curious look as they walked. He eyed a shape between the blades and gave it a small smile. When Eric leaned forwards to mutter into Billy's ear, Tom said, Are you ready? His voice was odd, but he didn't think much of it. A voice from the grass replied, Of course. With a nod and a smirk, Tom marched on with the other orphans. The students of St. Winifred's were already there, seated on blankets by a small pond. The girls were dressed in blue school frocks, with their hair neat and their shoes clean. The boys wore uniform of shorts and blazers and ties. Tom felt a flash of embarrassment as he surveyed the other orphanage kids, wearing the battered gray uniform stiffened by too many washes and cheap soap. They sat there, were instructed, filing into place between the school children. Tom found himself seated on the blanket furthest from the adults, next to a girl with ringlet curls tied with a white ribbon. "'Hello,' she said primly. She held out a hand, and Tom shook it without a word. "'I'm Marjorie Banks, and you?' "'Tom,' he said. "'Tom Riddle.' Already he was eyeing the bag slung over her shoulder, wondering what trinkets she had hidden inside which she could steal away and hide in his coat. "'How delightful to meet you,' she said, but her upturned nose said otherwise." He made a noise of agreement before turning his head to look out onto the pond. A swan looked by the right side half hidden in the reeds, and a family of ducks lingered by the left. They were pecking at the bread that a child and her mother were throwing in. "'My father owns a car factory, you know,' the girl started. Tom didn't say anything. He wouldn't care if her father was the king, never mind some stuck-up businessman.' He watched a cotton-white cloud drift overhead and wondered how long it would be before he could return to his bedroom in the orphanage. "'What do your parents do?' Marjorie asked him. "'Mamami says all you orphans must have been abandoned, and that's why you can't live with your parents. But I suppose you know who they are, don't you?' Tom decided to oblige her by answering. "'My mother worked at the circus.' A chilly breeze brushed over his shoulders, and he resisted a shiver. Really? My mother doesn't work. Why do you suppose yours does? Tom clenched his jaw. I wouldn't know, he said, shrugging. His voice was tight and cold. Mrs. Cole had always told him he sounded older than he was. She's dead. Oh, well, my mother's still alive. He didn't answer, refusing to catch her eye. Instead, he fixed his gaze on the white ribbon in her hair. At least then he could pretend to be listening to her while he fumed inside. He didn't care about what her father did, or what her mummy said, or whatever else she would talk about. She was a privileged brat. This was a phrase he'd heard some of the older girls using a week before. Mummy told me if she ever dies, she'd never let me end up in a wretched place like the orphanage. She loves me too much for that. The food was being distributed now, set on plates in the middle of each blanket. 
At the orphanage, food was stalled by the cook after the children queued up in front of her table, but Mrs. Cole was just as embarrassed as the children were about their poor conditions, so she was eager for them to be treated just the same as the St. Winifred's kids. There were strawberries. Tom hadn't eaten those for years and little finger sandwiches with sticks of cucumber and celery. Marjorie set about pouring herself a cup of tea, which she placed on a matching saucer, while Tom considered the spread and debated where to start. The other children on their picnic blanket were already diving in and picking the best food for themselves, but Tom pushed past the others. The orphanage kids knew not to mess with him after what had happened to Billy's rabbit and took three of the juiciest strawberries and a slice of Victoria sponge, knowing those would be the first to go. I suppose I'd go live with my uncle. Daddy is far too busy and important to look after me all the time, but perhaps Nanny would help out a lot, and then I could stay at home. Do you not have an uncle you could have stayed with? No, he said, starting on his Victoria sponge. Oh, she was biting delicately into a jam sandwich, using only her front teeth and nibbling like an overgrown rabbit. I don't like my uncle anyway. He's old and boring. What about your father? Why don't you live with him? Marjorie made an odd head movement, which made her curls bounce. And for a moment, Tom had a vision of hundreds of little snakes crawling out of her twisting curls. Oh, how she would scream! I don't know. I've never met him. He must have abandoned you then. Tom itched to lunge forward and wrap his hands around her throat, the casual way she said it, as if it was nothing, and he was some sort of circus act for her to talk and amuse herself with, irked him more than anything had in weeks. As he glared, Marjorie Binks sputtered a little, clearing her throat, and setting her jam sandwich back onto her plate with a frown. Tom smirked a little at her expression. "'At least my parents aren't too busy for me,' he said very quietly. "'What?' she asked, her voice still a little choked. He put on a falsetto voice, careful to keep it quiet enough so that no one around would hear. "'Daddy is far too busy to look after me,' he squealed in a poor impression of her tone. "'He even hires servants to look after me because that he's that busy, "'or perhaps he just doesn't want to be in my company "'because I'm such a loathsome little pig.' "'He spat out the ending, still glaring at Marjorie, "'whose smug expression from earlier had descended into a scandalized frown. "'I—' she squeaked. "'Shut up!' he hissed. His voice didn't quite sound human, twisted with rage and carrying a hiss of hatred. Now, I'll tell, she exclaimed, and, and I'll go find Mrs. Aiken, and she didn't finish her sentence, instead staring open-mouthed into the long grass surrounding the pond. Help, she shrieked, snake! The snake sat. Its tail curled and scales glinting. A pair of beady eyes were fixed on Marjorie, who had leapt up and was hopping around as if her skirts were on fire. That was one to remember for next time, Tom thought. At once, 
the whole group erupted into sudden movement. Tom smiled at the snake, whispering to it, Hello! And starting slightly as he realized the words weren't his own, but a strange assortment of mingled hisses. You summoned me? The snake replied. Yes, thank you. Could you cause a bit of a commotion for me? The snake gave him a swift nod and returned before rotating its head back towards the shivering girl, who was now screaming unintelligibly. It was unheard of, a snake in the London garden. It was something that would happen out in the fens or some park outside the city. Even, it was, even if it was only a common grass snake, not that there were many other types in England, it had the whole group of children, school and orphanage alike, standing on their feet and squealing as one. The teachers rushed about, desperate to dampen their panic, but Tom sat in the middle of the sudden rush of small bodies, grinning at the chaos and the terrified looks on Marjorie's Fink's face. He clutched a white ribbon in his fist, and when he was sure no one was looking, he slipped it into the inner pocket of his coat. Mrs. Cole was trying to keep everyone in line. Wolves, children, over to me, over here. Oh, please behave. It's only a grass snake. But the orphanage children were the least of everyone's worries. The school, children, the school children may not have even been abandoned by their parents, as Marjorie had said, but it was evident they weren't quite as used to disaster as the orphanage kids were. In fact, they were reacting as if they were all going to die. A boy lay screaming with his head buried in his hands. A girl had started running towards the gates and hadn't looked back. A teacher was standing stock still and watching the whole glorious mess with wide eyes. It was twenty minutes before the children stopped making a rumpus. The snake had long since slithered off, afraid of loud noises. But the chaos had continued. Marjorie Banks was still sniffling into her coat but she had wrapped herself around herself like a blanket. By this point, Eric Wally and Billy Stubbs were laughing at the whole matter, making hissing noises behind the school children's back, which resulted in the odd scream long after the incident was resolved. Tom sat smugly in his original spot on the blanket by the lake, having not moved throughout the entire ordeal. As Mrs. Cole ordered the orphanage children back home early, he grabbed another slice of abandoned cake from the blanket and munched on it, while their supervisor tried frantically to gather everyone into a line. He gave Marjorie a chilling little grin, and she cowered and squeaked into her hands. They left in a rush. Mrs. Cole offering Mrs. Aiken a disappointed sorry. The spring air seemed even fresher to Tom now, as he breathed it in with satisfaction, glad the weather had been obliging for his little stunt. The sun seemed to wink at him knowingly. As for what bratty little Marjorie had said to him, who cared if his parents had abandoned him? At least he wasn't a snooty, posh kid in a school like St. Winifred's. He pushed away the thoughts of his mother and father and that constant, why? which plagued his head every time he was always reminded of them. He didn't care. Of course he didn't. All he felt for his father now was resentment. And that was what powered everything he did. The anger could make him feel powerful, and when he used it properly, as yes, he had today. 
As they walked out, chattering more than they had on the way in, Tom slipped his hand inside his coat and felt the satin of the white ribbon which he'd stashed there. He smiled, looking into the grass which lined the path. Thanks again, he muttered, hoping the snake would hear him. It was in that same hissing language which stuck in his throat but felt strangely at home in his mouth. As he filed through the gate with the other children from Wool's orphanage, Tom swore he could hear a wheezing, You're welcome, from behind him. And that, my friends, is a wrap. We're going to take a small break and then we'll return and talk about this really fun story. And I'll be right back. Thank you for tuning in to Seppa Stories. Hi, and welcome back to Seppa Stories. So, this is the commentary portion of A Snake in the Grass, and if you would like to skip this section and go on to our next story uh, following this recording, uh, now would be the time to do that. If you'd like to tune in and, and listen in for the commentary, I'd like to break down some of the things that I absolutely adored about this story, and we will begin that now. Okay, so, A Snake in a Grass. I loved reading this story. Um, <clears throat> the best thing that I loved about this was a child Voldemort perspective. I thought that this was really cleanly written, and it was a lot of fun. Um, it was a lot of fun to read. I, I can't imagine it must have been a blast to actually write. And I thought this was incredibly creative. I enjoyed, you know, the kind of a bit of a background of the Wool's Orphanage going on trip days and Mrs. Cole, you know, trying very hard to, I guess, arrange outings for the children in her care. And, you know, of course, I like the detail that we're talking that Tom, uh, I guess, recollects or, or is, is thinking about that the other school children have clean shoes and, you know, uniforms and they had stiff, you know, faded clothing, uh, stiff from too many washings with cheap soap. I thought that was a beautiful um, detail to add in. And it was very visual to me when I read that. It's like I could see that. So I really like that. In fact, this story is a very visual story. I like the descriptions, you know, we know that it's in April and we're hearing about the kind of day it was and the soft breeze and just the writing is really descriptive enough for me to be able to immediately place myself there at the picnic with these children. I loved that, you know, he's just kind of hanging back. Um, this would be Tom. And you find out, you know, a little bit about a previous outing that they went on that didn't go well because you know, uh, Billy Stubbs, you know, steals a toy. <laughs> and, and of course, this is very embarrassing to Mrs. Cole and they weren't invited back by the other schools. So, you know, this these children are, um, or these orphanage children that are going on an outing are very much looked down upon, you know, on these outings, it seems. And, you know, it, it's sad because we know that some of the shapes Voldemort as a character, but we also know that, that he's just he's just bad anyway. Um, okay, so 
the little conversation, the conversation between Tom Riddle and Marjorie Banks. Oh my goodness, I thought this was very well written. I loved how prissy she was, and I thought that this writer very much um, was able to place in, you know, a, a very self-centered child, um, and you know, sometimes it, it, we address we, we address the issue, I guess, of bullying again, you know, or feeling superior over another, where this girl, you know, has very little compassion for Tom without even knowing him, you know, just very pointedly and aggressively starts asking him about his family and, you know, why was he abandoned? I mean, just, you know, she's kind of a terror. And in my mind, I could almost vision Veruca Salt from the Willy Wonka films or from the Willy Wonka book. Veruca Salt with, you know, her very... I would want to say privileged and and self-centered view of everything and Tom you know getting angrier and angrier and you know <laughs> having these violent thoughts about her because we know that he's a future dark wizard and he's already eyeing you know like her little bag and you know just thinking what trophy he could already take so I thought the detail of the white ribbon you know in her hair was was nicely done and I like that that's the trophy he manages to capture from her and all the chaos that ends up happening and you know and, and he kind of just takes her abuse for a bit and she she just keeps going on and on being very braggy and you know just being really quite callous and not really seeing the world outside of herself where finally you know and you can tell Tom is trying to shut her down by saying, well, I would know, you know, my, and he's talking about his mother, you know, she's dead. And normally that would end a conversation, but it doesn't with Marjorie. Marjorie just keeps going. And um, when Tom finally has enough, you know, it, it's kind of brilliant. It's like you, you almost feel bad for her. But, and when I was reading the story uh, for the first time, you know, and, and I hope that I could do it justice in reading it out loud, but when I was reading it to myself for the first time, I thought that it was really quite wonderful, and I actually started laughing, um, you know, when, when, she, when he just starts, you know, well, at least my parents aren't too busy for me, <laughs> and then he calls her a loathsome little pig, and that had me just, you know, of course, cracking up, you know, because I can almost imagine that look of shock that what you know kind of look on on Marjorie's face probably no one has ever talked to her in this way before with her parents being as wealthy as they are you know I doubt that anyone has put her in her place and Tom very very quickly does and then the chaos where we have the magical element in the story I mean technically if you weren't writing a fan fiction piece, this would be just a fun short story, even if you weren't talking about Tom Riddle and Marjorie living within the confines of the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Um, it would be a standalone, kind of a commentary you know, on, on kids just reacting to each other. But the magical element of having the snake kind of picnic crash <laughs> 
I absolutely loved it, you know, because then it's just chaos reigns supreme. And, you know, it just, at that point, you know, and <laughs> there he is just very calmly, you know, he's, he's just going for all the best food, you know, so, you know, he, and already the children from the orphanage are already afraid of him enough to, to let him have pretty much first pick of whatever he wants, you know, eating the strawberries and eating the cake and talking about the little cucumber sandwiches. So, you know, this is like a very prissy little picnic they're having. And while all the chaos is happening, I, I could almost see that he's just very calmly sitting, you know, on the on the picnic blanket, you know, just <laughs> enjoying himself and watching watching everything kind of come apart. You know, he is the orchestra or, or you know, has orchestrated this this chaos so brilliantly the children screaming people running you know and so so yes i i thought this was a really entertaining read and it was so much fun i mean it was actually so very very much fun i also liked to where you know tom at this point is coming into his own abilities like he already knows he can do things but now you know he's really very much acknowledging that he can speak to snakes and that really brings in the element of Tom you know utilizing the parcel tongue language from the Harry Potter stories so I thought that this aligned really wonderfully with the original canon pieces that Rowling wrote you know like um some of the other stories and I, I promise you I'm not picking stories that are canon based these just happen to be that well crafted that you know if if they were inserted as a side piece or you know to the original work these make sense they have a good flow and they're so well written that I think you could insert these in you know into a chapter or a memory and outside of maybe some more modern language um, like the use of kids maybe we would have said children and kept children in, in the words you know and more patterned it that way this would almost be like Harry and Dumbledore you know taking a trip back to, you know into you know being able to look into the memories that they were um, and being able to to review experiences that that Dumbledore had gathered you know memories and occurrences that that Tom had been involved in I think this is that well written that that could have been one of those pensive style pieces you know where they're looking at a memory I thought that would have been awesome and so to me reading this you know of course my brain is inserting this into what I already know about the Harry Potter you know stories so and in series so I, I thought this was so much fun. I, I like this beginning to end. I have really no criticism at all about the story whatsoever, other than in keeping it with a period piece, maybe taking out any reference to the word kid and inserting in children and making it a little more formal and a little more stodgy in that way and less modern. Um, I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was really, really wonderful and a lot of fun. So, yeah, I I would absolutely recommend this. And 
So the author does have a note at the end of the story, and it says, writing in the point of view of a child psychopath is surprisingly fun. And I have to tell you, you know, Ash and Moon, 42, as much fun as you had writing it, it was as much fun reading it. So I can't wait to sample more of your stories and I would like to read more of your work, you know, and share more of your reading on this podcast. This was a fabulous piece. And so thank you for sharing your story with Sepa Stories and with our listeners. This is going to be, I think, a lot of fun for people to enjoy. So I'll be coming back to the story. This one was a blast. So with that, I wanted to thank you again for joining Sepa Stories to enjoy this wonderful piece of short fan fiction. And we will see you next time. So be sure to tune in. I've got a wonderful story um, coming up, and you don't want to miss it. So we'll see you next time. If you like this, please uh, give me a follow, and this way you'll you'll be updated as I'm posting new stories up. And you can find me on Tumblr under Sepa Raven 200. I'm posting links to this podcast on Tumblr. So follow me there if you would like. I am on Apple iTunes. Um, through Apple uh, Podcasts. You can find me on Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. So if you like this and you have friends who are into fan fiction or you write fan fiction, you know, get in touch with me, message me, and I'll be more than happy to review maybe some of your work and get your stories out here for listening. So with that, we'll see you next time and thank you for joining Sepa Stories. <music>